G'day wherever you may be around the world and thank you for your company once again on truthtoyou.org. That's truth2u.org. I'm Jono and joining me all the way from Louisiana, my very good friend and co-host of the Tanakh Tour, author of The Moses Scroll, Ross Nichols. G'day, mate. Hey, Jono. How are you? Pretty good. Thank you, my friend. What's going on in Moses Scroll land? You got more stuff going on in the blog there? You're pretty busy. I am very busy. Yeah, we're we're posting almost every day, working through August, as we announced last week. Uh, Just did a major blog post, have another couple that, you know, we're coming down to the end of this rapid, rapid month in 1883. So I'm giving people Mm. a taste of what it felt like. To wake up in the morning in August of 83, 1883, not 1983, mm. and, and read these morning blurbs from reporters and all these newspapers, so I'm doing that. I did want to say, Jono, that uh, mm. the Tylers called me the other day and said, hey, hey. you want you want to go somewhere? Oh, and remember, yeah. we, we just got back from England, and I said, yeah. man. I mean, when I said, no, you're, you're just teasing me now. You're I'm, just teasing I, me is what no, you're doing. No, but I, I have to say, every time Dave and Patty call and say, hey, you want to go somewhere, it's something cool. It's like, <laughs> it is go find the real cool. Mount Sinai or go to England. So <laughs> we're, we're going, I'll just say quickly, I already have a ticket, Jono. At the end of September, for just a few days, a few quick days, we're flying to Germany, and we've oh got goodness. some things to follow up on. We're looking for, and I look, I can't give it out over your program. It's you know there are too many people who are into this <laughs> now, and but but I will say because there somebody listening to your program is probably in Germany, and if I say here's exactly where I'm going, they might run over there. They'll, and be- get, the, they'll get the scroll first. It's a race. <laughs> no, it's not really, but. But we, you we might are, be swamped we are by a crowd downs. of people with, uh, with with books wanting autographs, Ross. We, we, we can't you, let them where you're going. No, we, you, you got too much to do. you got too much work to do. You can't be distracted right. like that. Right. Hey, hey I just yep. want to know one thing, though. Are you going to go to um, to the corner of, uh, in Leipzig, you're going to go to the corner of Ross Plaza and Ross Place on uh, Ross, oh, you uh, know Ross Land there? You, you know yeah. it. Right there in the middle of Rossville. I'm going to take a photo of uh, you know, I might be able to get Dave and Patty to take a photo, but if not, I'll just take a selfie right there. Ross Place, Ross Plaza, right yep. there where the, the scroll was was uh, in the, in the Leipzig, yeah, in that, that, that yeah. Uh, hotel room. Anyway, but we're going to go do that. We're chasing down some clues. But in the meantime, I'm working on the blog. I'm also going through the text very carefully and with your help uh, listeners need to know that you and I are working together and coming up with all sorts of notes and footnotes and references and cross references to the biblical text and and when this is done people are going to have an incre- more more than what we put in the Moses scroll they're going to have something very, very valuable so that when we find this scroll and when it proves to be an ancient scroll, uh, mm. they'll have everything between two covers, you know? So that's the goal. I'm telling you, the, the, the only thing that's keeping me sane at the moment is going through the Moses scroll and, and uh, adding uh, notes and, yeah. uh, and study notes and all this sort of stuff that you and I are so uh, excited about at the moment. Because I'm in lockdown, and you're just teasing me. I don't like you anymore. Let's move oh, on. Oh, man. All right, let's go. You ready? You ready? Now, remember, <laughs> before we it. before we get into this, this remember, we've, we basically have covered in the Moses Scroll what mm. we would probably call the wilderness travel itinerary. Yes. We know from the uh, Pentateuch, uh, particularly Numbers 33, one of the seven things that is preserved in the sacred history, sacred memory of Numbers 33, Bamidbar, is that mm. Moses wrote the starting places of the journeys, or literally the pullings out of the stakes. And so we find that that's a third-person reference. But, but in the Moses scroll, and by the way, in Deuteronomy to a certain degree, there is mm-hmm. a first-person travel log. We're through that now, Jono, and we hit an inner point, yeah. and we're in fragment D, uh, column C, and you're going to take us to the next level. We're we're about this to is, get into the. This is the fun stuff for me. This is talking about the actual meat of the scroll. We, I, think. I tell you what, we're getting we're getting close to the crown jewel of this of this scroll. 
we're, we're not there yet, but we're getting very close. Now, um, as you just mentioned, we've we've followed the itinerary, we've followed the uh, the victories of, of the battles that they've had of the of, of the Amorites. They've gone all the way north up to Bashan, up to uh, what we call the Golan Heights. Now, is that fair? And uh-huh. and then now they and it says and we turned and we set towards the Negev, so they they turned back south, and we dwelt in front of Beit Peor. Now we we have to they, they obviously set up camp there. Yeah, and then we had the whole uh, the daughters of, of Moab went forth at that time. The women of Midian came out to meet you, and they they called to you to eat from their sacrifices, and you ate from their sacrifices, you drank from their libations, you bowed to their gods, and you mm. poured with the Midianite women, and you were joined to Baal Peor in that day. And the anger of Elohim burned upon you. He plagued a great plague against you at that time. Now, of course, mm. we highlighted that uh, the Moses scrolls tells us that Elohim was angry and he plagued you with a, with a great plague. Numbers is, what is it, Numbers 25? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mentions that a plague was stayed, but it doesn't say where the plague came from or that a plague had actually started. Right. Uh, it's assumed knowledge in Numbers 25. We made that point last week and uh, touched on a couple of things, actually, as to why we think that this is the original, and we move on from there. Now, as a result of this uh, situation, this um, high idolatry that that Israel engaged themselves in, the, the next thing that happens is uh, uh, it says, and Elohim commanded me, Moses is saying, and Elohim commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments and to do them in the land that you are crossing there to possess it. Mm-hmm. Guard yourselves... Uh, you shall not add. This is so important, isn't it, Ross? Yeah, it, absolutely. I love this. You shall not add to his commandment, and you shall not diminish from it. That's here in the Moses scroll. It's yep. it's absolutely imperative that it is. It continues. Guard yourselves, lest you forget, and you make a carved thing for yourselves, or a formed thing, a shape of any figurine which is in the heavens above, or which is on the earth below, or which is in the waters under the earth. And his anger burn against you and he destroy you quickly from that good land. Let's stop there. Okay. What do you want to highlight? Well, I, you, you've got a lot to unpack there, but let's just start at the beginning. You know, if you notice, there are several interpunks there. And generally, these are good good points to sort of highlight. So the first section, mm. between the interpunks, it says, And Elohim commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments, to do them in the land that you're crossing there to possess an inner pump. Okay. Mm. Now, one of the things that I wanted to highlight, and I think we left it here last week, is that in the Moses scroll, this particular, at that time, in, in my mind, if you read it naturally, it means that when they are at this place at Beit Peor, in other words, you know, this is where this happens, where Elohim commanded Moses to teach the children of Israel statutes and judgments. Well, the mm-hmm. closest that I can find in the Hebrew Bible, there are actually two verses in Deuteronomy which deal with to teach to you, all right? Deuteronomy four, Deuteronomy 4.14 and Deuteronomy 6.1. Let's let's go mm-hmm. to Deuteronomy four fourteen first of all, and and just kind of look at it and see because the language is very similar to what we find uh, here in the Moses scroll. So this is the first one, Deuteronomy four fourteen. You ready? Go ahead. At that same time, uh, the Lord commanded me to impart to you laws and rules for you to observe in the land that you are about to cross in and occupy. Now, this is the JPS I'm reading from tonight, Jono. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, the, the Hebrew is very, very close to what we find in uh, the Moses scroll. But here's the interesting thing for me. If you look at the context, Deuteronomy 4 presents this, and God commanded him to teach statutes and judgments. That happens at Horeb. So I find, and by the way, I'm bringing this up for a very important reason because I've seen some things when I look at the scroll and I look at what we have in particular in Deuteronomy that that sort of gives me pause. And, and so the first one is, did that happen at Horev 
or did it happen in the plains of Moab? And some might say, Mm. well, perhaps it happened in both. But we have no other reference in the Hebrew Bible that the same command from Elohim took place at uh, in the land of Moab. Do you know of any? Not not off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. No, it's interesting because it, it does pose the question, uh, at that time, is it referencing the time at the beginning of the document that we started with, that being Horeb, uh, the, the, therefore the statutes and the judgments are the ten words, mm-hmm. the first of which, uh, the pro- prohibition against idolatry, is repeated here almost verbatim. Alternatively, if if uh, if it's talking about where they are now, dwelling in front of Beit Peor, is the uh, the commands that Elohim has uh, instructed Moses to impart to them, is it a reiteration of the ten words and 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 primarily that which is applicable to them as a result of their sin? Is it all of it that he's that he's uh, recalling to them, or is it something different? Hmm. Uh, what, what's what's your thoughts on that? Well, it is a good question because what what we have is, uh, and and I've brought this up in my classes quite often over the last several years. What we find in Deuteronomy, in particular, is and no, and by the way, nowhere else, but in Deuteronomy, we have four verbs that occur with a lot of frequency. Uh, and not only do they occur with a lot of frequency, but all four verbs occur whenever they occur, they occur in order. And here they are. Listen, mm-hmm. which is the root word Shema. Learn, Shema. which is Lamad. Uh, guard, which is Shemar. And then do, which is Asa. These verbs, mm-hmm. these four verbs occur over and over in Deuteronomy. I did a class called Listen, Learn, Guard, and Do. And... and mm-hmm. But sometimes only three of them occur. But when the three occur, they're also in order. It never swaps it. So we're familiar, for instance, in Exodus, where the children of Israel say, and and Judaism makes a big deal out of this, we will do it and we will listen. And it's the wrong order. If you look at, first of all, it didn't work out for them when they did it before they listened. Remember, always, here's here's what I tell my kids all the time and my grandkids now. Listen to me. Listen. Don't do anything until I finish. Listen, I'm going to tell you what to do. But see, a lot of times people say, no, 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 I got it. I got it. I'm going to do it, Jonah. But I think it's important to get the order right. So in this particular case, we have one of those words uh, it's to teach you, uh, and God tells Moses some things that he is supposed to teach the children of Israel and their statutes and judgments. So your question and my question is, is this something that is revealed to him now? And I don't think it has to be. It could very well be to reiterate or to stress what they've been learning all mm-hmm. along, but but he's now commanded to teach to cause to learn. He's going to instruct mm. the children of Israel now, right before they go into the land, on mm-hmm. statutes and judgments. Now, there's something... I, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well I'm, I'm going to agree with you there. I think that he is reiterating. I think he is recalling the 10 words, and I think also he's recalling to them the blessings and the curses at that time after the incident uh, with the uh, Midianite uh, conflict. Yep. The reason why I'm going to go there is because uh, something I, I found fascinating is in the in the following words, um, where it says, "You shall not add to his command, and you shall not diminish from it." And the command he gives is the very first commandment of the ten words: guard yourselves. You know, the, the prohibition against idolatry. Yeah. But he doesn't finish there. Where he finishes is uh, you make sure you do this because uh, lest uh, Elohim's anger burn against you and he destroy you quickly from that good land. Well, if you go to the curses, the blessings and the curses, that last part is in reference to the last curse. Yeah, it sort of brackets it is what you're saying. The first it kind of, it, it, yeah. yeah, the first commandment and the last curse, I think that uh, he is encompassing all that um, that God has given from Mount uh, Horeb. Now, so what it what it says uh, in the end of the curses or the consequences thereof, Elohim will cause you to perish and he will destroy you from the face of the ground that you are to enter there to possess it. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, is if you do not follow the commands, Ross. 
Yeah, yeah, and I think that that is an excellent way to look at this. So let's say what it appears to be is exactly the way you've described it, is Moses is now reiterating, he's going back over, if you will, he's teaching the children of Israel in preparation for their occupation of the land. Now, just mm. back to my point where I said the order, you you brought something up. It's So it's uh, Moses is going to teach them, so that would be your learn. That's Lamad. And then the next mm-hmm. verb that's used is guard. So remember, listen, learn, guard. So you have yes. learn and guard. It's almost a check and balance. So when I see those four verbs or any of those four verbs in Deuteronomy, this is where I started, and I'm finding that it proves true in the Moses scroll, the order is never altered. Listen, learn. Now, in this particular case... That is fascinating. Now, you, 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 you know, as you work through, you're going to see this. Now, here's something that I wanted to share. So we get to this part about teach you. Now, he, if you look at chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1, uh, again, we have, and this is the instruction, the laws, the rules that the Lord your God has commanded me to impart to you. This is teach in mm. Hebrew to be observed in the land. So it's basically the same thing here. And of course, that leads to what is known uh, after the white space as the Shema, which we're going to get into very soon. So so what we find in the Moses scroll is this heads up, Moses is going to teach us statutes and judgments. Now, here's something that you may not know, Jonah, or you may know this. The, the Moses scroll has... In this particular verse that we just read, this uh, this idea to teach you statutes and judgments. Now, both of these words are plural. Statutes and judgments. Kuchim v'mishpatim. Statutes and judgments. So I did a little search in my Hebrew Bible program, and I wanted to know. I know statutes and judgments appears in English. Might not be translated, but I knew chok or kuchim and Mishpatim occurred, but do you mm-hmm. know that the there are only four verses in all the Tanakh where they're where they're both in the plural? Is that right? Yeah. Now get this: three of them are in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy mm-hmm. four five, Deuteronomy four eight, Deuteronomy mm. four fourteen. So Deuteronomy four is all about statutes and judgments, and that is exactly what we're talking about in the Moses scroll. And there's only one other in all the Tanakh, and get this, it's Malachi chapter 3, where it says, remember the Torah of Moses that I commanded him at Horeb, the statutes and judgments for all Israel. So it's in in Malachi, in in the Hebrew Bible, it's chapter 3, verse 22, but in the English Bible, it's going to be Malachi Mm. 4, 4. Remember the Torah Moshe of D, the Torah of Moses, my servant, which, uh, let's see, let me look at it in Hebrew, which I commanded him in Horev uh, concerning all Israel, chuchim umishpatim, statutes and judgments. So what are the statutes and judgments? Now, a lot of people, remember a few, before we got into the text of the Moses scroll, we talked about chapters 12 through 26. And a lot mm. of people believe that that big chunk of text are the things that Moses is going to teach the statutes and judgments. But what we're going to find out is that the very uh, statutes and judgments are the most central part of the covenant, mm. and we're about to get into it. So, uh, by the we way, this, this thing is loaded with text. You You continued to read a little bit. Uh, and you said, let's see, let me just, uh, you shall not add to or take yeah. away from. Let's talk about that just, for a minute. I was just about to go back there because we have to, we have to talk about that. Um, the, uh, we've, I, I've mentioned this before because we have focused in on this just briefly before in other programs, but I'm sure, uh, Ross, that Mormons, uh, probably talk about this. Yep. You know, you shall not add to his commandment. You shall not diminish from it. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they include the Book of Mormon in that, because I do regard that to be the the Word of God in as much as Christians regard the New Testament yep. to be the Word of God. And we know that Christians absolutely do point to that verse in Deuteronomy and say, well, that applies to our 
our our entire Bible, the the Old Testament and the New Testament. And remember, it's in in Revelation, too. If you remember that far back, remember, Revelation says, whoever adds to this book and... Yeah, that's right. So Christians Christians stack on, the Mormons add even more, and man... Mm. And then, and then, of course, you've got uh, the the Tanakh and Jews point to this verse, and they say, "Well, this is in regards to the uh, and you know you shall not add or take away from." But then, when when you really get to down to it, I mean, it's um, uh, when you read Deuteronomy, you have to say to yourself, "Well, if we understand Moses to be uh, the author of the first uh, five books, Ross, then I guess that's the first that's the the Torah, the Pentateuch." To which this really does uh, um, pertain to, uh, but here it is in the Moses Scroll, Ross. Yeah, here it is, and and we're distilling, aren't we? We're distilling the text down to its absolute purest form. You shall not add to his commandment, and you shall not diminish from it. Guard yourselves, lest you forget and you make. And then it talks, as I've already said, it goes on to the first commandment, prohibition of idolatry, and then finishes with the last curse. That's where we're at. Is there anything else you yeah, want to highlight? Yeah, let me let me add one more point. the The interesting thing for me is it's one thing to say, "Don't add to it and don't take from it." Okay, don't mm. add to and don't take from what you shall not add to his command or his commandments, and you shall not diminish from it. And then the next word is guard, guard for yourselves. Now, here's the interesting thing. A lot of translations, because this is similar to Deuteronomy 4.2 and Deuteronomy 13.1 or chapter 12, verse 32, I think, in the English. But, but, mm. but it's translated a lot of times, keep the commandments. But keep is an old English word. In Hebrew, it's shamar, to guard. So if, if people will think about it this way, what God gave to Moses to give to the children of Israel, they are to guard. Meaning, now how do you guard you you imagine a guard in front of the the box that Moses made, and if somebody said, "Hey, I'm I'm just going to put this in there," no, 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 you can't put anything in there. There's only one thing in there: the tablets. Mm. And you go, "Well, I just want to take something out." No, see, so a guard is going to keep someone from adding to or taking from, and and if you do that, if you add to or take away from, you are not guarding. That's the point. Mm. And I think that's the yep. key that people miss. So That's really well put. And you shall know today, and you shall guard his statutes and his commandments for the sake of your good and for lengthening days upon the land which Elohim, your Elohim, Elohim Elohecha gives you. Uh, Got to stop there because there's okay. an interpunct right there. Okay. Right. For the sake of your good. Um, obviously, this is not talking about your righteousness or your moral goodness. It's it's talking about for your benefit, right. um, that it may go well with you, as it's sometimes translated. So you shall know today, and you shall guard his statutes and his commandments, that it may go well with you, or that it may benefit you, mm-hmm. uh, and for lengthening the days upon the land. Now, the question becomes, what does that mean like a, an individual's lifespan, like we're all going to live for a really long time. I don't think so. Right. Because uh, just a little bit further back, it says that if you don't behave yourselves, right, uh, Elohim will burn, his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you quickly from that good land. And that is talking corporately. I think also here it's talking corporately. So it's saying that it will uh, expand the longevity of Israel's uh, possession of the land rather yep. than a lifespan. Yeah, uh, and opposed to being destroyed quickly from the good land, Ross. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna throw one point in. We have just read just a few verses from the Moses Scroll, very similar to what we get in the Book of Deuteronomy. Here's something else, where it says, "Guard yourselves," or "Guard yourself," depending on which passage we're reading, lest you forget. This language is only found in one book in the Pentateuch, Jonah. You want to guess which one? I'm going to guess Deuteronomy. You, you got it. You got it. Ding, 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 <laughs> ding, ding. It's only in Deuteronomy. Here's Here are my notes. Guard yourself lest you forget Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, verse 23, uh, chapter 6, verse 12, chapter 8, verse 11, chapter 11, mm. verse 16. All of these, and that's, by the way, that's not all of them. These say guard yourself. Like, 
it, this is so important. Deuteronomy uses this all the time. Uh, and, and I think that people read right over this, and they shouldn't. They shouldn't. It's so important. It's a, it's a, it ought to be almost a stop sign in the way that people see it and they go, wait a minute, wait a minute, what, what are you exactly am I supposed to guard? Because what it leads to in this scroll is, uh, like you said, the, this is for your benefit. It, it doesn't mm. mean your life is going to be perfect and you're not going to have tragedy and bad things. That's not at all. That's what the prosperity preachers teach and, uh, and it all works fine until tragedy happens, right? So that mm. you're exactly right, and I'm glad you brought that up. It it's for your well-being. Yes, the best possible outcome is is when you do these things. Is that fair? Mm, mm, absolutely. You know? So the other thing is uh, also there there are all these these uh, different things about making idols and. You know, again, that's from Deuteronomy. This language ties in again with Deuteronomy four. Look at, in mm-hmm. fact, look at Deuteronomy four, uh, verse sixteen. Deuteronomy four, verse yep. sixteen. Yep. Got it. Uh, this is very similar to what we just read. Not to act wickedly and make for yourself a sculpted image. Uh, in any likeness, whatever, the form of a man or woman, the form of a beast on the earth, form of any winged bird that flies in the sky, form of anything that creeps on the ground, the form of any fish that's in the waters below the earth. Uh, and it goes on. Uh, but the, mm. the Moses scroll is very succinct, very, very clear. Like it doesn't go into that kind of detail, but it, it kind of wraps it up just very similar to what we're going to find in the Ten Words. You know, mm. when you when you read over that, it it's just pretty easy. Don't make a carved thing, a form thing, shape of a figure which is in heaven, on the earth, or in the waters. I mean that that sums it up. You, cause it you really could does. Go, you could say, well, what, wait a minute, what about this? No, what about the shape of a man? Uh, no, about a woman? No, about a bird, a butterfly? No. Here, listen, it's very simple. Here, here it is. Not anything which is carved, shaped, or formed, a figure, heaven, earth, water. You're mm. like, well, that's pretty succinct. And and if you do those things, he promises that, uh, that that's going to be the end. I mean, you're mm. not going to endure long on the earth. But conversely, if you do guard these statutes and commandments that will be for your uh, for your good, for your benefit, and to lengthen your stay in the land. And as we know, biblical mm. history proves out they didn't, and they didn't. So That's it, right. it really kind of sums it all up. But, it, but again, anger burning, we see this in the scroll. I'm working on another project with the Moses scroll, and this, uh, this idea of an anger of God burning uh, in these mm. situations— occurs quite a few times in the scrolls. So you don't you don't want to you don't want to raise God's anger. No. Not no, at certainly all. don't. Shema Yisrael, shall I shall I continue? Yeah, let's go. This is uh Shema Yeah, I, I want to know what you think of this. Shema Yisrael. Well usually it's it's recited as Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course that's not what is in the text. That's the way it's pronounced. But what is in the text, Shema Yisrael, Jehovah Eloheinu, Jehovah Echad. But the thing that I find absolutely fascinating is that it seems to me that it makes the most sense in the Moses scroll, Elohim Eloheinu, Elohim Echad. Hero Israel, Elohim, our Elohim, Elohim is one. Elohim, as we know, is, is the plural. Yeah. All I'm saying is that is that here we have a uh, an emphasis on uh, the plural of El Elohim uh, being uh, affirmed as one, as 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 a unity. Yeah. Can I say that? Okay. Uh, so the plural Elohim is is used here in the singular. It's it's used in the singular all the way through. It's the name of God throughout the Moses Scroll. Uh, the tetragrammaton is never there except for the editorial headnote and the footnote by the scribe who was clearly writing at a, a later date. There's the little introduction and the little editorial footnote at the end where he uses the tetragrammaton but the moses scroll proper the scroll of the torah of moses never uses the tetragrammaton always uses elohim yeah and how much 
sense does it make? Hero Israel Elohim, Elocheno, Elohim our God, Elohim is one. Elohim is one, the plural of El, he is one. Perhaps Ross saying that all attributes of El, because there's all there's, there's there's all these names for uh, El Shaddai, like we, El El Yon, El Shaddai, El, El, yep. El, El Gabor, El, have all these Els, but here it's saying Elohim. Uh, all of these powers of yep. El is one in one God, is one Elohim. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And let me let me add something because you know one of the things that I think draws people uh, into the Hebraic faith quite often. One of the things you ask somebody, man, you used to be name your religion, and now you're sort of into Judaism or some kind of Hebraic, uh, you know, witness of the faith. Mm. How'd you get there? Well, I, you know, I found out that the Sabbath was still Saturday. I found out God Mm -hmm. had a name and, but God's name is one thing that draws a lot of people into the broad, let's call it the broad Torah faith movement, I think is probably a fair way to say it. But one of the, and by the way, I'm going to be teaching on God's names this weekend. I'm going to be. This is one of the things I'm doing now in our journey through the Torah, and and I want people to get this. If if you and I know we may have covered this before, but look at Exodus chapter six. In Exodus chapter six, verse two, this raises a huge question. So first of all, oh, yeah. if somebody looks at the Moses scroll, they would say, you know. But, you know, I listen to a real popular teacher, and he tells me that, you know, the name of God is Yehovah, and, and I, I just want to, if it had the name Yehovah, it, I would just be sold on it, Ross. I'd go buy, you know, five copies from my mother. But but the <laughs> point is, the question is, Jono, when did that name even come in? In Exodus chapter 6, verse 2, God spoke to Moses. And said to him, I am, now I'm going to, let me look at the, hang on, I have to open up a better Bible. Right. This, uh, I, actually, I'm yeah. looking at the Hebrew. Vayidaber Elohim el Moshe. And God, or Elohim, spoke to Moses. Now, I like the way this starts. And Elohim spoke to Moses. And he said unto him, Ani Yehovah. He says, uh, I appeared to Avraham to Isaac, and to Jacob in El Shaddai, or as El Shaddai. But my name, Yehovah, I was not known to them. All right? Now, this is is really interesting. Now, I know somebody told me the other day, I, I heard some great Bible teacher said that that was really a question. Was I not known to them by this name? There's no question in this. This is a declarative statement. There's no room for an interrogative. It it is clearly a statement. Now, what this does, though, Jono, is it it causes us to say, but wait a minute. As early as Genesis chapter two verse four, we have the name Yod Hey Vav So so how is that? And then in mm-hmm. Genesis chapter four, it says, and then men began to call upon the name Yod Hey Vav So some people put together this elaborate. It's called an apologetic, where they apologize for the Bible, and they they begin to come up with reasons why you find the name yod heh prior to Exodus chapter 6. Hmm. They, Here, they construct an argument, yeah. They do, they do. And, and so my main point is this. If we were to get back to the original, hmm. what, what was God known as prior to... In other words, he didn't introduce himself as yod heh vav until Exodus chapter 6. So let me make one more point, and then we'll move on. Mm-hmm. If if Moses says, hey, you know, I see the bush burning here, and you're telling me that I'm going to save the children of Israel, when I go to them and they ask me what the name of this God is, what do I tell them? And if God says, you, you tell them that my name is Yehovah. Now, Based on ex, I'm I'm kind of halfway quoting Exodus three, mm-hmm. but if if that really happened the way it said when it said it happened, let's say Moses says okay, so he runs back 
And the children of Israel are there, and he gets them all together, and he says, hey, I just met with God, and he told me he's going to get us out of here. And they say, well, yeah, yeah, well, what's his name? If he said he said his name was Jehovah, they'd say, never heard of him. Never heard of it. Never never Who's heard that? of it. I mean, mm. did, does it not say that until God reveals himself to Moses that he wasn't known by that name? Mm. But see, people read right over this. So my point is very simple. If we're looking for the authentic, the earliest version of the the Torah, as we would call it, mm. I would expect that it has a predominant use of something prior to uh, the revelation of yod heh vav I'm off mm. my soapbox. I'll do more of this Saturday. But, but that, to me... Just makes sense. Now let's just take a break just for one second because you mentioned it. Your uh, your Saturday teachings with United Israel mm-hmm. um, just brings such a speed with what you're doing because I am absolutely once again fixed to um, to the series that you are presenting. Uh, it really is just brilliant stuff. Go ahead. Uh, it's called the series I've titled "Honest to Moses," and and what I what I began with. This is going on. Uh, I think this Saturday will be 14 weeks. But if people mm-hmm. go back to the beginning of that, and some of the listeners, I think, do join us. And so, uh, but the bottom mm. line is it, it it's an attempt to uncover who is the historical Moses? What do we know? And by the way, I'm not relying on anything other than the text itself. So mm. what I tell people each week is we're going to trust the text. So, for instance, if I talk about Exodus 6-2 and I say, look, here's what it says, I'm not going to apologize or create a theory or uh, try to explain away things. So the bottom line is this class, Honest to Moses, is literally that. We're being honest mm. to Moses. We're looking for what did Moses really write? What does the text say? And, and what did he not write? And what was written at the time of Moses? And what mm-hmm. was not written at the time of Moses? Now, I, I don't want anybody to get nervous and think, well, you're being too liberal. I'm defending the text. Well, I would mm. challenge that and say, if if we're not defending the text and what the text says, then we're, we're adding to and taking away from. So I think that sure. that's the problem. There it is. Uh, and they can find that on, how do they, how do they get to uh, watch... You on uh, Saturday mornings? Our website is unitedisraelworldunion.com. You can go there or to our Facebook page or our YouTube channel. So any of those will get them to it. And it's at 10.30 a.m. Central Time. I don't remember. It's in the middle of the night for Australians, but that's okay. (laughs) It's like three in the morning. The good thing is it's all archived. People can listen to it on iTunes or whatever, so. So you can go right back to the beginning, start again, and uh, get right into this series. It really is very, very good. Now, here we are. So this, of course, is the Shema. Now, the interesting thing is, uh, as you've already mentioned, it's Deuteronomy 6 uh, in the uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, in the Torah there, but and, and this appears after the 10 words uh, ah, that are given here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the case, is it? We have the Shema prior to the 10 words. So it says here, O Israel, Elohim, our Elohim, Elohim is one, and you shall love Elohim, Elohim. You shall love Elohim, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul, very exceedingly. Now I know you want to talk about that. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, you ready for me to do it now? Well, do you want once, to do that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think first of all, you bring up a great point. Why is the Shema before the Ten Words in the Moses Scroll? Mm. Because before you teach someone, you say, Shema, listen. And then you begin to express the oneness of God, which is also a very dominant theme in Deuteronomy. Uh, but but this idea of the love of God, and, and I would also encourage people to do this, look for the love of God in the Pentateuch and tell me if you find it anywhere other than Deuteronomy. The answer is you mm. will not. The love of God is not found, uh, you know, this command to love God. It's only in Deuteronomy, and it's here in our, our uh, Moses scroll. Let me, yeah. let me ask you a, a question about that, because uh, love has so many different definitions. Ross, I mean, mm-hmm. w- what kind of love are we talking about here? Are we talking about a dedicated loyalty uh, uh, an absolute devotion. What? How would you define this? 
You know, if I could do that, I'd write a different book, Jono, uh, about okay. what what's love got to do. No, I think <laughs> I think that love, uh, ahav in Hebrew. You know, I know that the the Greek language has all different variations mm. and shades of meaning, uh, but the Hebrew Bible, ahav. Uh, I think you nailed on some of the terms that are uh, that are real important. You know, if you think about loyalty and you think about um, you know something devotion, clearly mm. those are uh, some of the basic meanings of love, dedication. But you shall. Here's the other thing: love Elohim, your Elohim. Now we're gonna find over and over in this scroll. This particular phrase, Elohim, your Elohim. And mm. and outside of this scroll, in the Tanakh, it does occur a couple of times. We'll get into this later, but it's, uh, it's in the Psalms. But I do like this idea, with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Now, that particular phrase also is only found in one book of the Pentateuch, and it is Deuteronomy. It occurs nine times in Deuteronomy. It occurs several times in our scroll. Uh, but this, where it says, uh, very exceedingly, what I'm trying to do there is capture something in the Hebrew, Jonah. It says, ma'od, ma'od. Ma'od means very. So, you're to love God, by the way, Elohim, your God, with all your heart, with all your uh, soul. And soul, I'm trying to translate nephesh, but nephesh is uh, it's a little bit hard. It means your entire being. Mm. And then, uh, it's with your everything, everything almost. Mm. Mm. So, so that's, that's pretty much, I mean, you... How much can God command love? Everything you've got. There it is. And shall I continue? Yeah, I think so. Okay. And these words, which I am commanding you today, shall be upon your heart and taught incisively to your children, and you shall speak of them when you sit in your house and as you walk along the way, and when you lie down and when you rise, and you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as bands between your eyes, and you shall write them on the door frames of your house and gates, Ross. Yeah, th- this idea, when you look at taught incisively, th- you know, and, and I've seen this in rabbinic commentaries as well. I don't remember how most English translations uh, cover that. Do you Do you remember off the top of your head? It, it's Deuteronomy 6, 7 is, uh, let me just see how it, how it puts it in. Uh, impress, impress them upon your children, recite them when you stay at home, when you are away, and so on and so forth. Impress upon. Uh, Impress upon is okay, because what it, it it really has to do, uh, the root word has the idea of sharpening, and so the idea almost seems like you're, like if you're going to cut or even prick, you know, like you're you're poking, the idea is that Mm -hmm. you're putting this in your children. And so that's why I say incise. The idea is that you're trying to put this on the inside where it's where it goes beyond just lip service and just, uh, mm. you know, kind of talking the talk. It's really a deep, deep love, which leads us into this idea that you're going to put them on your heart. So I think a lot of times people tend to think that that's not something you would find in the Pentateuch. That's a a Greco-Hellenistic idea. You know, I just love God with all my heart. Uh, and these words will be on your heart. That's that's as Torah as you can get. Mm, mm. You know, I think that we need to stop thinking like people have tried to condition us to think. So it's, it's on your heart. You're going to prick these into your children and you, you're going to talk about them in your house when you walk along the way, when you lie down, when you rise, bind them as a sign upon your hand and be bands between your eyes. What What mm. do you think about that? I I wanted to throw that one at you and see what you think. I know. About. That's it. That is interesting, isn't it? So uh, you shall speak of them when you sit in your house and as you walk along the way. And there's a, uh, I just noticed there's a, there's an interpunk there. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is interesting that it should be right there. So there's, if you like, there's a, a cause to pause. Uh-huh. Uh, and then it continues. And when you lie down and when you rise 
and you shall bind them for a ha- for a sign upon your hand, uh, and they will be as bands between your eyes. So what we know is that some traditions take this literally, some traditions take this figuratively. Mm-hmm. Uh, I notice you've translated it here, and they shall be as bands between your eyes, lending towards the figurative rendering here, mm-hmm. as opposed to um, uh, having some sort of an amulet by which you would wrap or or place uh, the ten words between your eyes or or bind them on your hand. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's interesting because in the Hebrew it says, uh, and and they will be for the uh, and and, for and and then it gives the sign upon your hand. Yeah, yeah, the the words. So so the idea is that this is what it's for. It's going to be for this purpose. Uh, it it is much debated, and it has been debated, as you pointed out, particularly since Second Temple times that we know of. I mean, mm. we they have found mm. uh, what what we would call yeah, phylacteries or tefillin uh, at Qumran. So I mean, we this right. this debate two thousand over two thousand years. Yep. Um, and and they're they're a bit different to the ones that we have now, but nevertheless, yeah, there was certainly an attempt to observe this in a literal sense. And um, but that's about two thousand years ago. This document uh, is dates right back to we, we're suggesting this is the original. This is uh, the words of Moses three and a half thousand years ago. Is that how they took it back then? Were they doing that, or did they understand this uh, as the Karaites of today understand it and have always understood it that it's um, uh, figurative? So uh, you shall bind them for a sign upon your hands. Is that that which you do? You shall do in accordance with. Uh, the ten words, and they shall be as bands between your eyes. That that which you see, yeah. uh, it shall always be before you. Like you will always uh, have it foremost in your mind. Mm-hmm. That the ten words, and mm-hmm. if you if you combine that with the uh, with what we've just read, um, that you should teach it, uh, it, it shall be upon your heart. I mean, clearly, it's not going to be literally upon your heart. We're not going to tattoo it on our heart or carve it onto our heart. Right. That clearly is uh, figurative. And that uh, lends in favor of of the Karaites' interpretation of these words. Yeah, good point. Um, but then, but then we get to now. This is a fascinating thing, Ross, because then we get to you shall write them on the door frames of your house and and your gates. Well, uh, initially, when we're talking about the, um, the the five books, what is traditionally understood as the five books of Moses, how are we? Or even if we're talking about the book of Deuteronomy, how are we going to write? All of that on our doorposts, and for what purpose? I mean, there's so much text there. No one's going to stand there. I mean, it just seems like a big ask, and that appears to be um, a figurative uh, proposal. And this is why we have a mezuzah, yeah. right? Which is not quite the uh, the whole of the text, but uh, it's 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 like a token of of uh, having it on the uh, on the doorframe of your house. But here, here, Ross, if we are talking about the t- just simply the ten words as we're about to launch into, yeah, you could really quite um, conceive that this this part of it is a is a literal commandment. What do you think? I, I think it could very well be. In fact, I was just as you were talking, I was thinking about you know I told you before we went uh, to recording that I have typed this document over and over and over and over. And I can't do it from memory yet, but I could literally write this whole Moses scroll on my doorpost. I could do that. I mean, it's not you so impossible. But I'm not suggesting it's no, it should no, it's be. not. But, but how much more so the ten words? That's right. But if if I boiled it down to from the point where Moses says in this scroll that God commanded me to teach you statutes and judgments, and then he begins to get in. You have the Shema, and then it's followed mm. by the Ten Words. Uh, you know, that that is a, that's the heart and soul of this. In fact, one, one thing I'd like to bring up is that we do have an interesting uh, example that is dated variously, but it's, it's clearly before the Common Era, and it's called the Nash Papyrus. And in the Nash Papyrus, it basically... Now, that it doesn't agree totally with the canonical text either. This is clearly an ancient scroll. And it has a version of the Ten Words and the Shema. So, one of the things that I think about is... What if that is what we're really supposed to teach uh, our, our children... 
to think about when we rise and when we go to bed and when we go out of the house, when we're in the house. And uh, What if it really comes down to the oneness of God, uh, to love that God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our everything, and then these essential teachings that we're going to be getting into. I, I think that that's the, that's the core of the document. That's the core of our faith, really. Mm, it absolutely is. No, I totally agree. So you should write them on the door frames of your house and your gates because, because Elohim made a covenant with you in Horeb on the day of the assembly. And I, I stood between Elohim and you at that time because you were awestruck by the face of the fire and you did not go up to declare the word of your Elohim to you saying, now I'm going to stop there. I don't, let me just, (laughs) I don't know. There's so much, there's an enormous amount to be discussed right in that last section that I've just uh, read that if we get into that now, uh, it's going to add another hour, and I don't know that we're going to. We're certainly not going to be able to get into the text of the ten words, the most important part of this whole document. I think we're going to have to wait until next week. Ross, what do you think? I think you you could not have timed this better, Jonah. This this puts us in striking distance of the ten words according to the Moses scroll, and mm. and I'm like you. We've really got to kind of unpack these verses that you just read because. Oh, yeah. There, there are some gaps in the text, and there are some. It, it's, uh, it's not quite. A There's some point. really massive things. There yeah. really are some really interesting and huge things just to discuss in those uh, few verses. That verse that I just read there, and and this is the last one before we get into the ten words proper, uh, which we uh, certainly intend to do next week. But this is where we're at. Any final thoughts, Ross? I, I can't wait. So next week. You and I are going to talk about the 10 words. I'm telling you. This is big. This is huge. All right, dear listeners, that's where we're at. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, have a great one. Have a beautiful week.